the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Of course, we were out of the studio yesterday because we were at the Pastors Masters Golf Tournament. What a hoot that is to spend the day watching pastors uh, pass you by as they're, uh, we were at the 11th hole as they are golfing together. And it's just a, it's one of my favorite events of the whole year. And um, was at the hole with uh, James for a couple hours yesterday in the heat of the day. And in fact, we were um, stationed across, there's a cement, I guess it's a driveway since the golf carts drive on it, uh, the driveway for the golf carts. And directly across from us was a dead, what was it, a mole? A dead mole. And I'd noticed there was something over there, but it wasn't until about two thirds through the tournament that a couple of the uh, pastors stepped over there, looked down. Oh, there's a dead mole. And I'm telling you, the second they made that uh, that announcement, I could smell the decomposition of the mole at the side of the It was just it was it was challenging. But James, being the man of chivalry that he is, immediately picked up his cell phone. Of course, he had been on his cell phone most of the day, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, he picked up the cell phone. He made the appropriate calls. And somebody about an hour later came and removed the decomposing creature. But it was interesting to watch the pastors. And there were only a few of them whose golf cart went by. They happened to look over and see it. And they would you know, go over there and stand over it and kind of describe how unattractive moles are and what was happening anyway. But we manned our station. Mole or no mole, we were there. Had a great time with uh, many of your pastors. Well, today on the program, we're going to talk with Tim Dunn. He is the author of Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances. He's a grandfather who lost a beloved granddaughter. He's going to tell us about how our perspective, what we choose to believe and what perspective we adopt can make all the difference in the world regardless of our circumstance. We're also going to talk in the 5 o'clock hour with Dr. Everett Piper. He's the fifth president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's known for his defense of intellectual freedom. He's also the author of that viral op-ed from a year or two ago. This is not a daycare, it's a university. And the best-selling book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of of Abandoning Truth. We're going to talk about a new trend of labeling babies with a B, babies. Uh, with a T in order to um, resist imposing gender stereotypes on young children. We'll get into that in the five o'clock hour. Also, we're going to talk with Grant Coffee. He's the director of Tribute to Honor. It's a nonprofit that uh, is a support mechanism for first responders and military. Uh, Grant Coffee, of course, is the father of uh, Marine Corporal uh, Keaton Coffee, who lost his life serving our country as a as a uh, Marine, and we'll talk with him about this uh, tribute to honor, which is a way for those of us who say we will never forget um, to actually live up to that, to do something constructive, to remember and to give honor to those who serve among us. That will be later in the 5 o'clock hour. 
Well, there was an officer um, with uh, uh, Seaside Police Department was involved in an officer-involved shooting this afternoon in South Seaside. This is according to the Clatsop County District Attorney's Office. We don't have many details at this point, but a deputy attorney has been sent to the scene to review the incident. The shooting was reported at around 1.30 p.m. It's believed to be uh, resolved at this time, but the condition of the people involved uh, are not known. We'll certainly uh, provide that information when or if that becomes available. Also, nine earthquakes ranging from 2.8 to 5.6 magnitudes, respectively, were reported off the Oregon's southern coast this morning. That's according to the U.S. Geological Survey. The quakes, on average, were clustered about 126 miles west of Crescent City, California. No tsunami warning. John Blakeman, who's a geophysicist at the National Earthquake Information Center, said the magnitudes haven't yet been serious, adding that quakes of this caliber occur fairly often off the coast, though the 5.6, uh, which happened at about 7.44 a.m., qualifies as a moderate earthquake. The impacts would be uh, more significant if it had uh, occurred on land rather than 10 kilometers under the sea. He points out smaller earthquakes and aftershocks will likely continue in the area through the morning, he said, adding that uh, he doesn't anticipate a larger magnitude will come along uh, and trump the 5.6. Tsunami concerns don't usually come into play until at least a magnitude 7 is recorded. The earthquakes happened um, on the Juan de Fuca tectonic plate, which uh, will likely be the source of a massive earthquake in the Portland and Seattle areas in the future. But Blakeman said the rumblings uh, this morning were nothing to worry about. I'm not sure why they announced them if there's nothing to worry about, but nonetheless, that's what we um, have been told. Looking at some of the developing stories of uh, not only today, but yesterday, one person was killed and 14 wounded in a mass shooting in a Toronto neighborhood on Sunday night, according to police. The gunman was also killed. The president warned Iran in a late Sunday night tweet to never, ever threaten the United States again or suffer the consequences leaving many to scratch their heads. Trump uh, called the president, rather, called the uh, controversy over Russia a big hoax after a week of backlash and damage control following his summit with Vladimir Putin. And uh, House Republicans asked the president to declassify key parts of the surveillance application for co for rather ex-campaign advisor Carter Page, according to documents obtained by Fox News. The operator of the duck boat in tragic act in that tragic accident that left 17 people dead last Thursday, previously warned about safety issues and design flaws. A mechanical inspector has said and the president's considering revoking the security clearance of six former Obama era national security officials and some critics are accusing him of using the intel community to retaliate against political foes. Satellite images reportedly suggest North Korea has begun dismantling its main rocket launch site, a possible sign of denuclearization. But there's a big question mark associated with that statement. Voters in Georgia will go to the polls today to decide the GOP gubernatorial primary runoff election between Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. A uh, federal judge has agreed to delay the start of former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort's first trial, which could reveal embarrassing information about several Democratic political consultants. And former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder says he is considering running for president and will make his decision in early 2019. Hmm. Well, authorities in Toronto said Sunday uh, late Sunday, rather, responded to a mass shooting in the city's neighborhood known as Greektown. Fourteen people were hit by gunfire, including at least one fatally. Responding police exchanged gunfire with a shooter and the suspect was killed. It's not clear if the suspect was hit by police fire. Authorities said it's too early in the investigation to determine if there was a terrorism link.
And President Trump and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani are now in a war of words. The president warned Rouhani in the late Sunday night all-capped tweet that he will face dire consequences if he continues to threaten the United States. Never, ever threaten the United States again, or you will suffer consequences the like of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. The president tweeted again, all caps. The tweet came on the heels of Rouhani's warning to Trump that hostile policies could lead to the mother of all wars with Iran. He earlier warned Trump to stop playing with the lion's tail and threatening Iran or else you will regret it. Trump earlier this year pulled the United States out of the international deal meant to prevent Tehran from developing nuclear weapons and ordered increased American sanctions. There's been a lot of question about whether or not the intent was the actual impact. Well, President Trump capped a week of contradictory statements about Russian activities during the 2016 presidential election by tweeting, it is all a big hoax Sunday evening. So President Obama knew about Russia before the election, Trump tweeted. Why didn't he do something about it? He didn't tell his uh, uh, didn't tell our campaign because it's all a big hoax. That's why. And he thought crooked Hillary Clinton was going to win, end quote. It was not clear precisely what Trump considered a hoax, the ongoing investigation into whether his campaign colluded with Russian officials or the notion that Russia had interfered with the election campaign at any point. However, the tweet echoed comments he made in an interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity that aired on Monday. And um, dissecting the Carter Page FISA application, Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee asked the president last month to declassify key sections of the surveillance warrant application for ex-campaign aide Carter Page. According to a letter obtained, the heavily redacted application outlined the justification for surveilling Page, which was approved and renewed several times by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISA, released over the weekend after a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit because the Department of Justice and FBI continue to obstruct the committee's investigation. It's time to put the facts in the public domain. The letter dated June the 14th states. And finally, a mechanical inspector said Sunday he warned the company operating the now capsized duck boat, which was uh, brought up to the surface today, by the way, in Missouri, about massive design falls and dangerous safety issues almost a year before Thursday's tragic accident that killed 17 and injured seven others. My first thought was I was thankful that me and my family weren't on the ducks Stephen Paul told Fox News. My second thought was, oh, man, I probably inspected that boat. Paul, who served in the U.S. Army for six years as a diesel mechanic before opening test drive technologies in 2009, says he was hired by Ripley Entertainment last year to inspect 24 duck boats. He said he sent the company a two to three page fleet of inspection reports, as well as 24 checklist reports and as many as 20 photos of the of each boat he inspected in August. In the report, he cautioned that the boat's engines and pumps that remove water from the hulls might fail in bad weather, which, of course, it did. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, it's a matter of national security, or is it a matter of revenge? Well, President Trump is looking into revoking the security clearance of several top Obama-era intelligence and law enforcement officials, by the way, some of whom no longer have those clearances. But White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said on Monday, accusing them of having politicized or monetized their public service. She made the announcement at Monday's press briefing after Senator Rand Paul called on the president to specifically revoke Trump uh, Trump 
critic and former CIA director John Brennan's clearance. In an interview the story um, with the, the story on Monday night, Paul told um, host Martha McCallum that Brennan should not get anywhere within 10,000 yards of the government. He should have a, a restraining order. Well, Sanders said uh, Trump is also looking into the clearances of other former officials and Trump critics, including former FBI Director James Comey, former Decu- Deputy Epuda. FBI Director Andrew McCabe, former uh, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, and former CIA Director Michael Hayden, who also worked under President George W. Bush. Sanders said the former officials politicized and in some cases actually monetized their public service and their security clearance in uh, making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia. Brennan is an, an analyst for NBC and MSNBC, while Clapper has been working for CNN. Democratic Representative Representative Adam Schiff of California, a ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, tweeted that politicizing security clearance is uh, uh, to retaliate against former national security officials who criticized the president would set a terrible new precedent. Well, Clapper said on CNN that Trump's idea was kind of a petty way of retribution, I suppose, for speaking out against the president, which I think on the part of all of us are born out of genuine concern about President Trump. Well, Hayden uh, Hayden uh, tweeted Monday that revoking his security clearance wouldn't have any effect on what I say or write. And former Brennan Deputy Chief of Staff Nick Shapiro said Brennan hasn't made one penny off of his clearance and doesn't need a security clearance to speak out against the failings of Trump. We'll see where this uh, where this goes. Well, satellite images show North Korea has begun dismantling its main satellite launch facility in an apparent confidence building measure with concerns about the slow pace of progress and its promise to denuclearize. The Wall Street Journal is reporting North Korea. The journal reports has uh, begun to demolish its rocket engine test stand and a related uh, building at the. Uh, Sohei Satellite Launching Station, the country's primary rocket launch site for rockets since 2012, according to new imagery published on Monday by North Korea, focused on um, rather a a North Korean focused website, 38 North. Uh, The move hasn't yet been announced by North Korea's state media, but is an alleged follow up on a promise that President Donald Trump said was made during the June 12th summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong Un in Singapore. And Georgia's voters today will select one of two Trump-supporting candidates as the Republican nominee for governor, capping off an electric race that's rocked by a slow burn of secretly recorded tapes and an eye-catching set of advertisements, as well as a sudden and unexpected endorsement by the president himself. Georgia's Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, they're locked in a contentious primary runoff with both vying for a, a position uh, as a true Trump conservatives, uh, the two have emerged from a crowded field of candidates, though neither won more than 50 percent of an earlier vote to avoid the June 24th runoff. Trump unexpectedly weighed in on the race last week, tweeted his full and total endorsement for Kemp. And the federal judge in the upcoming federal court trial for President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, on Monday unsealed the names of five witnesses being granted immunity to testify as he granted the defense's request to delay the start of the trial. Those witnesses are James Brennan, Donna Duggan, Connor O'Brien, Cindy Laporta and Dennis Rako. 
All of the are believed to have worked for financial institutions. U.S. District Judge T.S. Ellis III released those names as he granted the request of Manafort's attorney to delay the start of the trial. It had been scheduled to begin on Wednesday in Alexandria, Virginia, but Ellis agreed to delay it until the 31st of this month. Manafort facing charges of bank and tax fraud related to his work in Ukraine through his trial uh, rather, though his trial will be closely watched for revelations about Trump's campaign for the White House in 2016. Democrats may, may also want to brace themselves. Testimony could potentially reveal embarrassing information about several Democratic political consultants, including a top advisor to 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders and others who have worked in lucrative elections, both in the United States and abroad, according to court filings. And former Attorney General Eric Holder is mulling a 2020 presidential run, saying on Monday he'll make the decision sometime early next year. I'm thinking about it. Holder, who ran uh, the Justice Department in uh, from 2009 to 2015 under President Obama, told the late show host Stephen Colbert, uh, what I've uh, said is that I made a make a determination sometime early next year. The former Obama administration official has been hyping up his potential 2020 run since April after he announced his attendance at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics annual Politics and Eggs event in June, an event that mainly uh, former candidates once attended, or many have. And on this day in 2005, Lance Armstrong won a record-setting seventh consecutive Tour de France and retired from the sport. You might recall the rest of that story, sadly. And in 1998, on this day, Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan is released in theaters all across the United States. Well, there's a lot going on in the world, and we certainly can't cover all of it, but um, we try to cover some of it. Uh, One uh, issue that we won't have time to go into much depth today has to do with the release of FISA information. The FBI relied on the unverified Steele dossier. We are now told the salacious Clinton campaign product was, in fact, the driving force behind the Trump-Russian investigation. It was on a sleepy Saturday after months of stonewalling. The FBI dumped 412 pages of documents related to the Carter Page FISA surveillance warrants. The applications, the certifications, and the warrants themselves. Now that we can see it in all uh, in uh, black and white, mostly black, as they heavily redacted that material, it is crystal clear. Those who have read have uh, indicated that the Steele dossier, an unverified Clinton campaign product, was the driving force behind the Trump-Russian investigation. The question is, what difference will it make at this point? Well, based on the dossier, the FBI told the FISA court it believed that Carter Page, who had been identified by the Trump campaign and as an, as an advisor was coordinating with the Russian government in an espionage conspiracy to influence the 2016 election. This sensational allegation came from Christopher Steele, the former British spy. The FISA court was not told that the Clinton campaign was behind the Steele work, uh, nor did the FBI or the Justice Department inform the court that Steele's allegations had never been verified. To the contrary, each FISA application, the original one in October of 2016, and the three renewals at 90-day intervals, uh, all labeled verified application in bold caps in uh, er, uh, the original. And each one makes this breathtaking representation. The FBI has reviewed this verified application for accuracy in accordance with its April 5th, 2001 procedures, which includes sending a copy of the draft uh, to the appropriate field offices. In reality, the applications were never verified for accuracy. This is something of a bombshell And we'll have to trace where the shrapnel uh, ends up in the days ahead. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Tim Dunn. His book is titled Yellow Balloons, 
power for living life above the circumstances. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the day began just like any other day, but on the afternoon of September 18th, 2015, the tiny heart of 22 month old Mariah Constance Wimberly would stop beating and never start again. It would be out of this unimaginable anguish that a West Texas oil man and his family would never view life quite the same again. Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances by Tim Dunn, my next guest, is both memorial and testimony to Mariah's young life and how each of us can be blessed and empowered to live life above the agonies, the drudgeries and the mountaintops of our two minute ride here on Earth. Tim Dunn and his wife, Terry, raised six kids uh, in the Big Spring, uh, Texas area in the capital of the West Texas oil patch, Midland. The booms and the busts of the petroleum industry had taught them plenty about handling the ups and downs that life can bring. But none of it could compare to the loss of their granddaughter, Mariah. They were now faced with the most challenging decision of them all. How would they choose to view this terrible and sudden tragedy? Well, drawing from a tested but unwavering faith in God and his revealed truth in Scripture, Tim shares a better way to view life when traveling through the valleys of profound grief and tragedy, the monotonous routine of daily life in the plains, and the intoxicating success experienced on the mountaintops. Well, Tim Dunn is the CEO of Crown Quest Operating Company. He and his wife, Terry, they make their home in Midland, Texas. He joins us today to talk about the book, Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, let me begin by asking you about the significance of yellow balloons. Well, uh, the title is taken from the... Uh, event we had at the memorial service where we let a bunch of yellow balloons off into the air to say goodbye to Mariah. Mm -hmm. Yellow was her favorite color. And so we had lemonade and uh, lemon cake and my wife, her Mimi, uh, wore a yellow dress and we had yellow reminder ribbons on our, um, uh, on our lapels. And so it's just an image that's kind of cemented in all of our minds that, um, you know, she's gone. We said goodbye. Uh, we still have her memories, but now we have life to live. Yeah, yeah. Well, Yellow Balloons, as I mentioned earlier, is both a memorial and a testimony to the life of one of your grandchildren. Tell us about her story and the role that that played in, in this book. Well, uh, we have we have 16 grandchildren now, including Mariah, and one more coming. Uh, with uh, six children, you, you, get a, you get a shot at more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Mariah was particularly special to us because um, our uh, daughter, Mary Catherine, her mother and her husband, Tim, and my older sister, Wheatley, had relocated to Midland, and it was in one of the boom cycles, which means housing's hard to find. So they moved in with us to look for a house and then found one and then needed to remodel it. So they ended up living with us for about nine months. So we had Mariah in our house every day from uh, uh, age uh, 14 months up to uh, 22 months when she expired. They were just a couple weeks away from uh, moving out of our house into their new place when she just died in a nap. There was, uh, she had had some fever-induced seizures, and so Mary Catherine was watching her very carefully, um, but she wasn't watching her to see if she was going to die. She watched her to see if she was going to have a, a fever-induced seizure. 
and we don't know what happened. The autopsy was inconclusive. There's no medical explanation. The doctors were clear that there's nothing they could have done, but she died. She died in her house. And so when something tragic and inexplicable happens like that, uh, you're left with a really, really important choice that's made obvious uh, because you have to choose how to look at that. But the reality is we have that choice all day long, every day, with every circumstance, and we're mostly just oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's only really three things we can control. We can control who we trust and what we do and how we choose to look at things. And we have tons of anxiety and frustration because we try to control things we really can't control. We can't control what other people do, for example. Uh, and we just try, and we, we, we can't control what uh, our circumstances are, but we try. And all that does is bring us pain and misery. But these three things we can control are incredibly pivotal and mark change eternity. And the Bible really is very overt about that, that if we will choose to look at things from God's perspective, if we will do the things he asks us to do, if we will trust him, and see him for who he is, life is way different than if we live in an illusion that we can control things like children's heartbeats. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's a major theme in uh, Yellow Balloons. How did that um, realization um, help you affect your ability to deal with Moriah's death, the the limitations on our ability to control things and recognizing the few things that we do actually have control over? Well, I go through this in some detail in the book, but about 20 years earlier, I'd gone through a really bad uh, time in my life, a really dark valley where there was a self-induced failure. And I just don't deal with failure very well. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm an ambitious person. And, you know, when things don't work out, it bothers me, but not a lot. But when they don't work out because I messed up, it's really hard to deal with. And in this case, the failure was really me seeing myself for for what the Bible tells us about our own sinful natures that, uh, as Romans says, there's nothing good dwelling in it. And I spent a year or two coming to own that that reality. It was just horrific. Um, it It was a really bad time. My external circumstances weren't that bad, but this internal battle that I had was really terrible. And so when I came 20 years later to have to deal with uh, Mariah's circumstances, I had already learned the key lesson that I think is the pillar for difficulty. And that is that God always has our best interest at heart, no matter what we see. And even when you look at circumstances and say, I do not know how in the world this could be in my best interest, it still is. Mm. And that's probably the most important choice to make yes. in, uh, in difficulties. Now, you point out that the story of Job has a special meaning for you, and you make the observation that there are angels watching and studying us to learn something of God that, that puts us in a, a, a place of being um, pretty extraordinary in terms of what, uh, what God has in mind for us. Talk a bit about why Job is important and recognizing that angels are watching us to learn something more about the, the nature of God, um, how that helped you walk through your, uh, your grief. Yeah. Well, this was really something that I I struggled with in my first, you know, Joe Black experience, the one that was uh, rooted in my own failure. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, in spite of, you know, material success going on all around me. But um, I, I really was looking for answers. And I studied the book of Job, which is a guy who, you know, had a lot of bad stuff happen. And I started noticing some pretty remarkable patterns in there, uh, one of which is God is the one that brings Job up, not Satan. And the, the whole thing starts in heaven where there's this whole kind of trash-talking thing going on between Satan and God, and Job's totally unaware of it. And he's a ping-pong ball in a, in a game of ping-pong between God and Satan. And it's God that brings Satan up and essentially says, you know, this guy's making you look terrible. Look how great he is. He's really bragging on Job, and it becomes pretty apparent. Job's like God's favorite guy. And so then he, Satan says, well, you know, uh, he just understands good deal. You know, you give him what he wants. You, he gives you what you want. It's a transaction. What's the big deal? So God says, well, okay, I'll remove my hedge of protection around him. So go do what you want. Just don't touch his uh, body. And so Satan goes and trashes just about everything Job has, makes it really clear that, you know, it's a supernatural event. And Job says, hey, you know, I worship God notwithstanding. He, he took it all away and it was his to start with, so it's okay. So then God really rubs it in to Satan and says, you know, look, this guy's making you look terrible. And then, you know, Job is stricken with boils next time around. And all through this, God never accuses Job of anything wrong. He always lifts him up. It's like Job's favorite guy. So I got through with all that and said, okay, well, why would God do this to his favorite guy? It's the lesson from Job, like, try to stay under the radar. You know, don't be God's favorite guy. Be mediocre. Is that the lesson? And I really struggled with that. And then I, and then I came up on this verse in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 3.10. Maybe you know it. And it says, the manifold wisdom of God, the many-faceted wisdom of God is revealed by the church to some group. Do you remember what Ephesians 3.10 says, that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed by the church to some group? Do you remember what it says? I'm not thinking of it at the moment. Well, you, that would be almost the uniform uh, reaction I mm-hmm. get from people. But the rest of that verse is, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And you think, well, whoa, wait a minute. I would expect the church to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to you know, the church, to the world, to, to, the man, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And I thought, well, wait a minute. So you got like Satan, you got the angels, you got all these beings, and they've been in heaven, they see God, they talk to God, God can teach them about himself, and then watching us to understand about God? What is it about us that they're watching to understand about God? And it dawned on me that there's something we can do that they can't, and that's live by faith. That's know God by faith. You know, there's three great things, faith, hope, and love. And faith and hope go away in the next life. Only love remains because you can't have faith in what you see, and you can't hope for what you already have. And we're going to have what we hope for, and we're going to see who we believe in. So this life, this two-minute ride, as I call it in the book, is something that has a tremendous special meaning 
And I just think we don't really generally understand what a big, 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 big deal it is. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Tim Dunn. He's the author of Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Tim Dunn. He is the author of Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances. Uh, Mr. Dunn is the CEO of Crown Quest Operating Company. He and his wife, uh, Terry, make their home in Midland, Texas. Now, you mentioned that there are three things that we control, and one of them is who we trust. How does the the perspective we choose actually affect our ability to trust God? Well, I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting some music coming through my phone here. Are you still hearing sure. it? <laughs> I'll try to speak over it. Um, you know, I think I think trust is is largely born of uh, the perspective we choose about who we it is we're trusting. If we think of God as somebody who always has our best interest at heart. And we're going to have one view of trust. If we view God as a cosmic vending machine, we're going to really end up trusting ourselves. And that was the big takeaway I took from Job is that Job and his friends and Satan, everybody had this idea that if you'll do what God uh, wants, uh, then then he will give you what you want. There's this transaction that you have. And Job is the only guy that really understands that, no, that's really not the case. God is God, and he does what he wants to do, and you should accept what he has. But then God reveals himself to Job when Job says, hey, I really want to know you. I really want to understand why this happened. And it ends with Job saying, well, I really thought I was somebody, and I realize I'm small, I'm vile, and God's really God. And and Job was taken to the place of losing everything so that he could gain knowing God by faith. And my big takeaway was that, hey, you know, what if we view every circumstance as a once-in-existence opportunity to know God by faith, no matter whether it's mundane things that you have to endure or, or uh, mountaintops that you get to enjoy or valleys you have to go through, if we can view every circumstance as, man, only get this one wisp of vapor time to come to know God by faith, uh, then then it totally revolutionizes the way we look at life, and it totally revolutionizes the way we look at God and what it means to trust God. You also call our lives, and you mentioned this just before the break, our lives on earth, our two-minute ride. Um, explain what that means and the importance it plays in choosing the right perspective that will carry us from the start to the end. Yeah, well, I took that from sort of the Snow White scary adventures kind of uh, Disneyland ride where, <laughs> you know, you have uh, the little kids who don't really understand the difference between the real world and the imaginary world come out crying and the other kids come out kind of, you know, having had a good time and ready to go get a funnel cake and really recognizing the reality of the situation around us is the difference between enjoying and not enjoying. And this life, it is our only chance we will have to know God by faith. It's something the angels long to look into. It's something they're craning their necks to try to understand. These things that are uh, apparently vastly superior to us in intellect are watching us. And so if we can look at that as a perspective of, 
man, this is my only shot to know God by faith, and I don't want to let any little bit of it slip by, then it changes everything in terms of the way we look at uh, both responsibility as well as, as uh, you know, opportunities we have to, for enjoyment. We're talking about the book Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances, and my guest is uh, Tim Dunn. You make the point that what we consider the humdrum of everyday life is actually brimming with amazing cosmic potential, that we just have to choose the right perspective in order to see it. We are blinded sometimes by our own cynicism. Uh, in the midst of the amazing life that God has given us. Now, for for listeners who today are thinking, yeah, right, he doesn't know my life, what do you say (laughs) about that version of the humdrum life that we see from our vantage point and coming to recognize that there's so much more? Right. Well, the first thing I would say is I offer all of them a free download of uh, Yellow Balloons. If they'll go to yellowballoons.net and use the passcode TRUTH, uh, they can have a, fr- a free copy of the book, and they're welcome to pass that along to all their friends. So maybe that's a little extra special thing for a home day. Absolutely. But, you know, the, the, the thing that Jesus uses as an example of something that's great in the kingdom of God is giving someone a cup of cold water in my name. You know, there's not there's not much that's more uh, pedestrian than that. Now, if you go to Israel, and I heard one of your commercials uh, – Tony Evans' uh, uh, trip to Israel. I've, I've been five times now. I just love the place. I mm-hmm. recommend it to anybody. Uh, but if you go there, you'll see that giving someone a cup of cool water would have been a little bit bigger deal in those days. You'd either have to go to a well and haul up the bucket, or you'd have to walk down into a cistern that some might have a hundred steps to get some cool water. But it's something most anybody can do. You know, it's it's some trouble, but it's it doesn't require special powers of any kind to do it. But it's the in-my-name part that matters, and that kind of thing moves eternity. And so if we can look at, um, like the Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, and it is from him you will receive the reward of the inheritance. If we can look at it as a cosmically moving event to change that diaper because you love the baby, to wash those dishes because you're serving your household, to take out that trash because you get to serve your your uh, um, your your um, family, to write that expense report because you're being diligent on the job. Uh, though that is what God considers great. You know, He saw the widow giving one mite, which might maybe it's a quarter or something in our world, and there were a bunch of other rich people putting a whole lot of money in, and He said, "Now that woman there, she's really a faith hero." She's a faith superhero. And we remember her fondly. We don't think Mm -hmm. too much of the wealthy people. So from God's perspective, he's telling us there's nothing in our everyday life that's not brimming with amazing potential if we will do it as unto him. And what God wants us to do is take our gifts and use them to serve others with the opportunities we have, not with the opportunities we don't have. You identify success and prosperity as perhaps the most dangerous of circumstances in the journey of life. First of all, why is that the case? And what advice would you give us, uh, particularly those of us who are working hard to achieve success, which in and of itself is not a bad thing? It's not. It depends on how you define it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Completely, yeah. Well, you know, the spirit of our age is materialism. And it's interesting, materialism, if you really think about the way it's presented, it's 
It's the idea that if I have something I don't have now, then that will make me happy. But just think about it. If you say, well, if, if I get that car, it'll make me happy. By definition, once you have the car, it can't make you happy because now you have to want something else. So this, the spirit of materialism is one that you can't ever be happy. You can't enjoy what you do have. Uh, but, you know, the Bible tells us that God has given us richly all things to enjoy. So, you know, if we can view things as stewardship, that God has entrusted things to us, and uh, he wants us to enjoy them, and he wants us to serve others, we can actually enjoy what we have and serve others at the same time. And that's a much better way to live. Absolutely. Once again, the book is titled Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances. Uh, Tim Dunn, I thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, You're not just talking in theory, but you've had to actually live that out. Uh, And I appreciate your sharing your story and uh, your book with us here today. Thank you, Georgine. And again, yellowballoons.net free download with the passcode truth. Amen. Okay, thank you so much. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll talk with Dr. Everett Piper. He's the fifth president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Have you ever heard of a they-be? Well, you will in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, here's how the story goes. One way of shielding children from gender stereotypes is to keep their biological sex a secret. Take twins Zyler and Caden. Is Zyler a boy or a girl? And how about Caden? Well, that's the question their parents say only the twins can decide. Well, the Cambridge, Massachusetts couple represent a small group of parents raising babies. You heard me right. Babies. Children being brought up without gender designation from birth. There's a Facebook community that these parents currently claim about 220 members across the United States. A baby is um, a different thing to a different people, says uh, the father, Nate Sharp. Raising our kids, he says, with gender neutral pronouns like they, them, their, rather than assigning he, she, him or her uh, based on their anatomy. Well, parents in the U.S. are increasingly raising children outside of traditional gender norms, as they put it. Allowing boys and girls to play with the same toys and wear the same clothes, though experts say this is happening mostly in progressive, well-to-do enclaves. But what makes this uh, gender-open style of parenting stand out, and even controversial in some circles, is that the parents don't reveal the sex of their children to anyone. Even the children who are aware of their own body parts and how they may differ from others aren't taught to associate those body parts with being a boy or a girl. If no one knows a child's sex, the parents uh, theorize the children or the child can't be pigeonholed into gender stereotypes. Well, Dr. Piper, who is the author of Not a Daycare, um, joins us to tell us exactly how manipulative, uh, horrific, and bogus this terminology is. Now, Dr. Piper is the fifth president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's known for his defense of intellectual freedom. He's the author of the viral op-ed of a couple of years ago. This is not a daycare. It's a university. And the best-selling book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And he joins us to talk about this new trend of labeling babies, babies, to avoid uh, imposing gender stereotypes upon him. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Piper. Georgine, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. So what's your first impression of this uh, attempt on the part of some parents to shield their children from what they are biologically uh, in order to um, give them the opportunity to choose who they will become? It's child abuse. 
<laughs> it's, and frankly, it's asinine. It makes no sense. Anybody with a bachelor's degree in psychology knows and was taught that a child of that age is not capable of uh, making decisions in terms of sexual fluidity and gender identity and all this nonsense that we're placing upon children. So number one, you're putting children into the discussion that is an adult debate. And I think a lot of us would argue that's no place for children to be. Let the kids be kids. Second, um, it is the elevation and it's the um, worship of the virtue of our day, tolerance. It places tolerance as the highest virtue, the highest value that you can possibly attain within a free society. And again, that is nonsense. Here's an example. Let me share this anecdote with you. When I was raising my two sons, I, every night we would, uh, I'd read a Bible story to them. I'd read what we call the regular story, and then we would pray. And then as we were done praying, I always told my boys I loved them. So every day, every day, every night, I told my boys I loved them. Not once did I ever tell them I tolerated them. Then the reason is obvious, because tolerance is an inferior virtue, if you will. Tolerance says I could care less about you. I really don't even like you, and I certainly don't love you. Do what you want. Love, Christian charity, if you will, says I care deeply about you. Now stop. So the huge difference between tolerance and love is tolerance is care less and love cares a great deal. Tolerance says, I don't care. I'm not going to confront you because I want to feel comfortable and I want to be your friend. Love says, what you're doing is wrong, now stop, and I care more about you than I do about my own personal feelings and being a friend to you. Tolerance is an inferior virtue. Love is a superior virtue. I even was on the O'Reilly Factor a few years ago with regard to the religious freedom debate, and I said to Mr. O'Reilly at the end of the discussion, I said, Mr. O'Reilly, on your anniversary, did you send your wife and I tolerate your card? And the answer is clearly <laughs> no. It would not have ended very well. Again, because tolerance is inferior, love is superior. We don't go by people, I tolerate your cards on Valentine's Day. That would be absurd. Now, what's the impact? Uh, what's the likely impact on children who are encouraged to um, to disregard their biology and are given the, the burden, essentially, of deciding what they are going to be um, based on their parents' uh, seeming confusion about the answer to that question? Well, you know, ironically or uh, interestingly, this is a return to Gnosticism. Okay, the old heresy of Gnosticism was the separation of the person from the body, and it diminished the material, and it elevated special knowledge over and above the objective facts of the body. And what are we doing today? We're claiming that we have special knowledge. In other words, we identify as something that flies in direct contradiction to the biological fact of the body. We diminish the body, and then we elevate gnosis, special knowledge, and we're imposing this heresy upon kids. Now, they don't know it yet. They're too young to understand what we're doing. But we're brainwashing them and inculcating within them this disregard for the biological facts of the body. And the irony here is the conservative, the Christian, is the one that's being accused of being anti-science. 
we're not anti-science. We believe in biology. We believe in physiology. We believe in genetics. And we believe in the objective fact of the female. Another interesting question I would have of those advocates of this new wave of uh, gnosis and claiming that our gender is fluid and that we can just identify any way we want, regardless of what biology says. Another question I would have of these people is this. How can you possibly be pro-woman if you deny the reality of the woman? How can you be a feminist if you deny the feminine? You are a misogynist if you're telling women they're not real. Because if what could be a greater insult to you than for me to suggest you're not a fact? You're a fabrication. You're a fantasy of a dysphoric male that wants to raise his hand on a given day and say, say I'm a woman. And therefore, he can take your bathroom away, your shower away, your identity away, and your dignity away just because he says so. How is that possibly pro-woman to make that claim? How optimistic are you that reason will prevail and that children will be spared uh, this kind of confusion? At this point, it's a relatively small group, at least that we're aware of, that are choosing this way of raising their children. Uh, Do you believe ultimately reason and science will uh, prevail? Well, I am an optimist. I'm a believer. I, I, I've i read the end of the book, and I understand <laughs> the story, okay? and I know who wins. So I am an optimist in terms of knowing that within God's greater providence, he will prevail, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I understand that, I believe that, and I'm going to take that home, and I'm going to put that in the bank. However, what happens between now and then, I don't know, because it certainly seems that we're not just slipping down a—we're not sliding down the slippery— slope, we're careening off the cliff of insanity when we start at denying what is one of the most objective facts known to mankind, and that is this. The first thing that was ever pronounced upon you when you were born was this, it's a girl. And the first thing that was pronounced upon me by a medical doctor, a scientist, when I was born is this, it's a boy. It was a biological fact. It was not an opinion. It was not a fabrication. It was not a fantasy. It wasn't even necessarily a religious or political discussion. It was just reality. It's a boy. It's a girl. And now we've come to the point as a culture where we can't even agree on that any longer. It's the uh, subtitle to my book, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning the Truth. Mm. Dr. Piper, thank you so much for talking with us. Blessings to you. Appreciate it very much. Again, Dr. Piper is president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's also the author of uh, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. The book is published by Regnery. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I had mentioned at the top of the program that a person, that there was an officer-involved shooting in Seaside. We now know a person was killed in that uh, officer-involved shooting in Seaside on Tuesday afternoon. The shooting was reported shortly after 1.30 p.m. in the area of Avenue P and Roosevelt Drive on the south side of town. This is not an area frequented by tourists as much. Officers with Seaside Police responded to a report of an armed person in the area. During the confrontation, shots were fired and the person was killed, according to a news release from the city of Seaside. No other details about what led to the shooting have been released. No officers were injured. The person who was killed has not been identified. And an investigation uh, led by the Clatsop County Major Crimes Team and Oregon State uh, Police is ongoing. So that is a developing uh, story. 
Well, the White House is expected to announce a plan to provide $12 billion in uh, government aid to farmers harmed by the administration's multi-front trade war, the Washington Post reported this morning. Under the plan, which could be announced as soon as, uh, well, sometime today, farmers whose livelihoods have been harmed by the retaliatory tariffs resulting from the president's trade war with China, NAFTA and the EU will be provided access to three distinct forms of aid, direct assistance, a food purchase program, and a trade promotion program. The announcement uh, came from the president as he continues to escalate his protectionist rhetoric on U.S. trade in China, or rather with China. The administration has already implemented tariffs on $34 billion in Chinese exports, and Beijing has retaliated in kind down to the dollar. In recent weeks, the president has repeatedly threatened to implement tariffs on the uh, entirety of China's more than $5 billion export market, placing uh, Beijing at a distinct disadvantage given that it only has roughly $120 billion in U.S. exports available to hit with tariffs. Well, soybean farmers have been hit particularly hard by the trade war as prices have plummeted. The president has repeatedly vowed to help soften the blow as Midwestern farmers, a key part of his base, have increasingly turned against his protectionism. The aid proposal, which relies in part on a Depression-era Department of Agriculture program designed to bail out farmers, is the product of a months-long research effort intended to help the administration see its trade war through by uh, warding off domestic, oppose, uh, domestic opposition rather in the farming community. And the Senate overwhelmingly confirmed the nomination of Robert Wilkie to be Secretary of the Veterans Affairs in an 86-9 vote on Monday. He earned the support of most Senate Democrats largely by promising not to privatize the VA. Uh, Wilkie uh, served as Assistant Secretary of Defense under President George W. Bush, has served as Acting VA Secretary since the firing of David Shulkin in March. Well, during his confirmation hearing, when pressed by Senator John Tester uh, if he would disagree with Trump, Wilkie said yes. President Donald Trump reacted to Wilkie's confirmation in a statement and said, I have no doubt that the Department of Veterans Affairs will continue to make strides in honoring and protecting the heroic men and women who have served our nation with distinction. Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan praised Wilkie in a statement and said she met with him personally, saying, in particular, I appreciated Mr. Wilkie's commitment to implementing the Bipartisan VA Mission Act, as well as to addressing issues with the Veterans Choice Program. Uh, The no vote in Wilkie's uh, confirmation included several names considered to be 2020 presidential contenders. Those nine Democratic senators are Cory Booker out of New Jersey, Dianne Feinstein, California, Kirsten uh, Gildebrand, uh, Kamala Harris out of California, Ed Markey from Massachusetts, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Ron Wyden of Oregon, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and independent Senator Bernie Sanders, who caucuses with the Democrats. Harris criticized Wilkie for celebrating those who fought for an America uh, that kept human beings enslaved to his efforts to justify Trump's ban on transgenders, uh, transgender troops. Well, a new report is showing every congressional district is benefiting from the uh, Trump tax reform or Republican tax reform. Uh, Why would you buy a $26,000 or what would you buy with $26,000, a new car, a year of college tuition, a down payment on a house? Well, it's not a hypothetical question, according to Adam Michael. New research from the Heritage Foundation shows that the average American household can expect some $26,000 more in take-home pay over the next 10 years, thanks to the tax reform that Congress passed last year. But where can you find the average American? With Heritage's new online tool, you can see how the tax cuts and the job Act will benefit the typical taxpayer in every congressional district. They tailored the research to where you live. You can check that out online at the Heritage Foundation. 
Um, the uh, big takeaway, wherever you live, typical taxpayers in every congressional district will see a tax cut in 2018. You may have noticed this phenomenon already as your employer has started deducting less from your paycheck this year. The average American household can expect to pay about $1,400 less in taxes in 2018. But depending on where you live and how many kids you have, the numbers can look quite different. In communities that had high tax bills last year, such as Palo Alto, California's district, um, that's California 18, uh, represented in house uh, in the House rather by Anna Eshoo, or uh, one of New York City's Manhattan districts, um, New York 12, represented by Carolyn Maloney, the average tax cut could be as much as $3,000. Lower income communities, such as areas near Phoenix, Arizona, represented in uh, in the House by Reuben uh, Gallagher, or uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, represented by Dwight Evans, they'll see much larger percentage decreases in their tax bills. Tax reform benefited these communities by cutting their income tax by an average of 18% or more. Americans with children will benefit tremendously from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. A married couple filing jointly with two children will see their taxes uh, fall by $2,900. The tax cuts, however, will have um, a much larger effect than just letting Americans keep more of their money. Since tax reform passed, more than 600 companies have announced more jobs, more bonuses, higher wages, charitable giving, and new investments in the U.S. Many of them explicitly cited the tax cuts as the reason for their bonuses and investments. So again, you can go to the Heritage Foundation if you'd like to find out more specifically how this is impacting you and will over the next 10 years. President Trump will soon be able to use his famous catchphrase against the head of a troubled federal agency, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which is led by a single Obama appointee with no meaningful oversight from the president. The Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled this week that the agency's structure is unconstitutional. In Collins uh, versus Mnuchin, a three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit issued a per uh, curium opinion holding that Congress unconstitutionally insulated the Federal Housing Finance Agency to the point where the executive branch cannot control the agency or hold it accountable. The judges sent the case back to the district court, ordering it to strike down a statutory limit on the president's power to remove the agency's director. This is an important decision for the government's separation of powers and for keeping the executive branch agencies accountable to the president. In the wake of the housing market collapse, Congress created the Federal Housing Finance Agency as part of the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, hoping it would rehabilitate two government-sponsored entities that had become insolvent, the Federal National Mortgage Association and the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, more commonly known as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Congress designed the Federal Housing Finance Agency to be a politically independent entity empowered to create and enforce rules while also overseeing operations at Fannie and Freddie and nursing them back to financial health. But Congress also adopted some specific provisions that made the agency partisan and unaccountable to the president, unconstitutionally so, according to the Fifth Circuit's opinion. Specifically, Congress authorized the president to appoint a single agency director for a five-year term who picks three deputy directors, um, and uh, who would be removable by the president only for cause. Well, the Federal uh, how, fi- Housing Financial Agency does not get its money through the normal appropriations process as other agencies typically do. Instead, it receives its operating expenses through an annual assessment of its regulated entity. So it's a, uh, an entirely different animal. Also, its uh, director takes only advice, not orders, from the president and two of his cabinet members who sit on an advisory board the Secretary of the Treasury, and the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. All of this leaves the director too independent from 
executive oversight, according to the Fifth Circuit. Meanwhile, the liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals endorsed the right of individuals to carry firearms in public in a ruling today striking down a lower court argument that the Constitution only protects the right at home. Analyzing the text of the Second Amendment and reviewing the relevant history, including founding era treatises and 19th century case law, the panel stated that it was unpersuaded by the counties and the state's argument that the Second Amendment only has force within the home, the ruling states. The case resulted from Hawaii resident George Young being denied twice in 2011 as he sought to carry a handgun. Two of the three judges, who were both appointed by Republican presidents, ruled against a lower court upholding the restriction. Judge um, uh, O'Scanlan wrote on his opinion, or rather in his opinion, that for better or for worse, the Second Amendment does protect a right to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. In his dissent, Judge Richard Clifton said states have long allowed for extensive regulations of and limitations on the public carry of firearms, the order said. We are disappointed in the decision that would undermine Hawaii's strong gun control law and our commitment to protect the public, Hawaii Attorney General Russell Suzuki said in a statement. But we note that Judge Clifton filed a well-reasoned dissent supporting the constitutionality of this law. We intend to consult with Hawaii's county and work with them on uh, further action. It's the second time this month that the three-judge panel issued a pro-Second Amendment decision after backing a lower court's decision last week to suspend California's ban on the possession of large magazines. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Grant Coffey. He is the director of Tribute to Honor. He is also uh, uh, the father of... uh, a young man who lost his life serving our country in the the military, Keaton Coffee. We'll talk more about that and how those of us who say we will not forget might do so. So that's coming up next on the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, on 9-11-2001, an organization was born. Tribute to Honor is a nonprofit. It was created in the wake of that tragic event by four Portland police officers. It's dedicated to establishing a longstanding symbol of tribute to the thousands of responders and military heroes in Oregon and in every town, city, and state all across the Fruited Plain to provide support in times of need. It was first brought to my attention at the uh, passing of Keaton Coffey. Uh, many of you remember at the time of his death, we talked about it here on the program, and I made a I made a point of remembering this young man and the sacrifice he made on my behalf and on our behalf. I uh, attended an event that uh, celebrated his life. Uh, a stretch of highway was dedicated. Uh, in fact, there's a plaque on that stretch of highway bearing his name. And I later had the opportunity to meet uh, some of his family members. Well, Grant Coffey is currently the director of Tribute to Honor, and I've asked him to join us here today to talk a bit about Tribute to Honor and how we can uh, remember. We often make the statement we will never forget, but it has to be intentional for us to remember. We have to uh, make um, some intentional effort to not only recall, but to do something to support those men and women who survive their service to us, whether that's in the fire, uh, police, EMS, or military. Grant Coffey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, I appreciate being on. Thanks for having me, Georgine. Well, I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to consider uh, one opportunity for us to remember those who serve among us. Again, we're talking about fire, police, EMS, and military. And of course, your son paid the ultimate price serving in our uh, our military, Keaton Coffee. We remember the anniversary of his death here on this program. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a bit about tribute to honor and what this means to those who serve. 
Well, as um, as you know, and, and for, for your listeners, uh, I'm a, a retired Portland firefighter and spent uh, 37 years of, of my life uh, working with Portland Fire and giving back and, and still involved with those folks and, and involved as a contractor even after I, I retired. But um, when I... Uh, my son was going to be a firefighter when he got out of the Marine Corps. He was attached to a special ops unit as their uh, explosives dog handler and second tour, only six weeks away from getting married to Brittany Digert. And uh, basically when, when they knocked on my front door, I mean, the bottom dropped out of my yeah. wife and I's li- our lives. And uh, um, it took me about, it took us about a year to crawl out from under a hole and, and everybody handles it differently. But um I I decided I wanted to get more involved and some family members started a run. That's what originally started some activities for charity. And so we started the Hero Half uh, Marathon, which is uh, in honor of Keaton Coffey and another military now. And we give back to his scholarship at the Massachusetts Christian, uh, which is now approaching well, well over $100,000 as an endowment to uh, those children at that school that want to uh, engage in a in a career in a lifetime of service in some aspect it could mean various various uh, mm-hmm. versions of that um, uh, mission work or whatever but um, <clears throat> so we I we had been doing that for a while and then and then I got uh, I called the uh, then director uh, Wayne Winter who was a retired firefighter of a tribute to honor and I'd been involved with those guys but uh, after 9/11 they were involved in lots of events and then it started languishing a little bit um, for various reasons, and Wayne's health started deteriorating. Uh, I called him and asked him if I could start running, uh, using them as an umbrella organization, um, as a nonprofit to uh, start doing some of Keaton's uh, shirt sales, his CrossFit events, lots of different things that we do throughout the year. He said fine, and, and pretty soon it developed into a, 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 a board position. And then um, uh, he his health started deteriorating even more, and I asked if. Uh, if I could just become the director. And when that happened about a year and a half ago, um, I, uh, I added a couple of things. Uh, I didn't change the charter at all other than to add military. Uh, it was started in honor of police and fire families post 9-11. We still do that. But we also honor our military because they're also responders um, and, and are just amazing out there. And, and, you know, having a dog in the fight, you know, and my son and having family in the military, um, it's just, it's, it's honoring to me to, to really try to reach that high bar that my son set for me. And so basically, uh, we've expanded the, the mission a little bit, the military, we've, uh, expanded the board quite a bit. We have currently 11 board members, police, fire, and, and military and dog handlers. And, um, we, we do many events throughout the year. You, you were so awesome, um, as our celebrity auctioneer at our first our first annual um, oral auction down at uh, Lebanon. That's where part of my family is mm-hmm. and where we run the Hero Half Marathon. So we, we continue to do events throughout the year, um, and uh, uh, people can check it out. Uh, I know I only have so much time, but people can check it out at tributetohonor.com, and you can uh, link to our different Facebook pages and learn how, to, how you can contribute and help. 
Well, one of the things I, I think it's important to be reminded of is why we should remember those who serve, whether they're in the fire departments uh, that serve in our communities, police, EMS, and military. What does it mean to you and to others who have served in capacities where you're willing to put yourselves in harm's way in order to protect and serve this community? What does it mean to you when the general public remembers and appreciates uh, the sacrifices you've made? You know, I really see post 9-11 that, that uh, even if somebody says they don't support a, a war or a conflict, um, I love hearing that. Um, There's much more support than it used to be. Back in my era, um, I was post uh, right in between just after the Vietnam War, and my lottery draft number uh, was low, but uh, the war ended before they picked my number, and I was glad. But my son actually didn't have to go. He had a scholarship, partial scholarship at George Fox, was a great student, and, and uh, he just said, it's not for me, Dad, and, and he wanted to serve. He had a pure heart, and, um, and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and the examples I'd like to use, especially for those responders that are out there, is that volunteer firefighters, they, they go to work at a regular job. Then when they get off work, they go back to work. And there's something that motivates that, an altruistic sense of giving back. And you know what? When you do that, uh, you you actually it, it you feed off that and it 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 generates a well-being in, in addition to helping people that's what that's what my mission is now because of my son everything i do, i do pales in comparison to what he did and uh basically i want to motivate people uh, to help out and we're a small organization but we 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 attempt to give 90% of our funds plus back to the the people that need it the most yeah. Well, and I, I was so honored to be a small part of that event uh, and so uh, gratified by the, the men and women who were there, many of whom had served in the military. Some were parents who had lost a son or a daughter uh, in the military. And it just strengthened my resolve to to remember and to pay tribute whenever that's possible. Now, once again, the website that you would encourage our listeners to go to to learn more. Yeah, it's tribute to honor dot, dot com. And we have links to Facebook on there. We have some history things on there. Um, we're, we're just adding new things, calendar and some other things we ha- will have. If you go on that site, you can go right to the bottom. We have a raffle going on right now. It has some great trips. You can donate on there, um, uh, just general donation, or you can also get on and buy a PayPal or a credit card. You can buy tickets. They're $5 each, uh, uh, five for 20. And those, it's a big firefighter group that we're, we're, uh, uh, doing firefighter causes in addition to tribute to honor. Uh, which includes my son's scholarship at Damascus Christian, but also um, we give to veterans organizations every year. We give all our money back out. We have no paid staff. Uh, that's what we're about. We don't uh, spend a lot of money on overhead, just the bare minimum. And uh, they can check out some of the things that are coming up. We're going to have a, a show at Harvey's Comedy Club uh, probably in September or October, and that'll be on the website. Plus, we've got some things coming up that they can check out on their uh, get wet for a vet and some USO um, events. My uh, my vice president is a gold star dad. Also lost his son mm-hmm. just a couple of months after my son in Afghanistan, Andrew Keller, and uh, he is my dog h- handler. He's my guy that handles all of our dogs. We just gave our tenth uh, dog away, our companion dog to local vets in need. Um, uh, he just, uh, she just went to a vet, a Vietnam vet down in Sweet Home, actually. And the one before her went up to, uh, she went up to, uh, a Marine, 
that has PTSD up in Seattle, Chris Sharp, who actually served with my son. So they can go on site. They can look, look at those things. They can also uh, go on and there's a volunteer form if they want to volunteer. We've got one project I wanted to mention, too. Yeah. Um, that's coming up. We're, we're trying to help remodel um, uh, the house of a, of a police officer um, that was uh, rear-ended on Highway 26. And Barbie family uh, out in Vernonia, we're, we're, we're going to do some projects throughout the fall and winter. Uh, and anybody that's interested in that, we're trying, we're getting donated materials and going to remodel his house for him and, and also resurrect some uh, fundraisers for his wife. Because after a little while, people have their regular yeah. lives and they go and, and then they have to do other things. And you forget about these people. But you know what? People that have lost sons or daughters overseas or have lost a family member um, or have other needs, um, they have it every day, even if you forget about them. So we, we, we want to make sure that people call in. Uh, and, and all your listeners also, if they know of any, any uh, cause locally that we can help with, um, we'll try to help them organize volunteers and those types of things. So we're all about giving back. Our motto is help us help them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work that you and the, uh, the team are doing. Uh, Grant Coffey, I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us, and I hope we'll connect again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Georgine. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Again, a tribute to honor, and the website is just simply that, tribute to honor. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, as we uh, discussed earlier in the program, uh, there is an effort going on right now to draw attention to the plight of the persecuted church from all around the world. And stories of persecuted believers are being shared at this religious freedom Uh, ministerial, as they're calling it. Well, the first victim of religious persecution to share their story today at the U.S. State Department's first ever ministerial to advance religious freedom uh, couldn't share that testimony in person. Chinese pastor John Cao is currently serving a seven-year prison sentence, a punishment handed to him from the Chinese government after he helped build 16 schools for the Wa people, an impoverished minority group in Myanmar, or Burma, as you may recall. Well, his wife, Jamie Powell, uh, she shared her husband's story to a room full of a dozen religious civil society leaders from all around the world, saying that spreading education wasn't just the side goal of, uh, of my husband. She said it was his call from God. Education was the vehicle with which to enable freedom from poverty and moral wrongs. Her husband began to be harassed by the Chinese government when he built schools in uh, two provinces in southwestern China. Surveillance and questioning by officials persisted, and despite his eventually turning the schools over to the government, they continued. And while a U.S. green card holder who moved to the States to attend Alliance Seminary in Nyack, New York. He nevertheless kept his Chinese citizenship to continue missions work in his homeland, according to uh, uh, the testimony. Um, He grew passionate about working with communities across the Chinese-Burmese border after visiting uh, one people, the Kachin people, in 2012. He was shocked by the poverty he saw, his wife reports. Children without clothes, child mortality rates really high, a makeshift school with a pig pen adjacent to the classroom. He worked with fellow Chinese Christians to open schools in the community, ones that served about 2,000 students in Wa State. He was arrested last March. It's clear to us now that John was set up for arrest because of his faith-driven work and accused of facilitating organized border crossing, she said. This charge is often used to prosec- uh, prosecute human traffickers. Um, uh, Mr. Cowell was convicted last spring. His time detained is... Um, uh, 
left him a shell of his former self, she says. He has lost more than 50 pounds. He has uh, not been able to communicate with uh, his wife or their two sons. Last fall, Representative Robert Pittenger and Chris Smith pled Chow's case uh, before then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. China Aid and World Watch Monitor have more details on his case if you want to go deeper. But he wasn't the only victim of Chinese religious persecution that was spotlighted rather at the ministerial. A representative from the predominantly Muslim Uyghur group followed Powell by sharing his own story. Another religious persecution victim whose story was highlighted at the State Department was Shabazz Bhatti, one of Pakistan's few Christian politicians who was assassinated in 2011. Peter Bhatti represented his brother and described him as not afraid of speaking out against a country's blasphemy laws. Peter was his brother, or rather said his brother, expressed a deep conviction before he died on and how he had decided to live out his faith. I want to share that I believe in Jesus Christ, what is given his own, uh, who has given his own life for us. I know the meaning of the cross, Shabazz said, according to Peter. Well, Peter, again, his brother, called the United States a champion of human rights and called for funds coming into his native country to be used for education and economic development with the consultation of local and international Human rights organizations. Shabazz's sacrifice will not go in vain, no matter how much we will have to pay the price, he said. Peter's comments were followed by Razia Saltana. Uh, a, a lawyer, a Rohingya lawyer who advocated for a bill placing sanctions on Myanmar because of its harsh treatment of the Muslim ethnic minority. She also said she would not advocate for repatriation unless the Rohingya were guaranteed full citizenship. And this is just a small part of this ongoing uh, ministerial um, that is being updated uh, not only daily, but hourly as the focus is now shifting to the persecuted church. And we are uh, praying that this will be a productive opportunity for um, members of the government and those who serve uh, the persecuted believers from around the world will have an opportunity um, to do something constructive on their behalf. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Ken Ham. He is the author of Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. On Thursday, we'll talk with Michelle Van Loon. She's the author of Born to Wander, Recovering the Value of Our Pilgrim Identity. And then on Friday, assuming there are no major news stories, we'll just lighten up and take a look at the lighter side of the news. But if there is breaking news, we will certainly break into the program. So uh, you can listen up and be sure that we'll cover what might be... uh, might be developing. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for the situation in Seaside with that officer-involved shooting um, that uh, took place earlier in the day, about 1.30 this afternoon. Um, obviously, this is a trauma to everyone involved, onlookers, as well as those directly involved in that shooting. Again, an officer with the Seaside Police Department involved in an officer-involved shooting earlier in the day in South Seaside. And that's according to the Clatsop County District Attorney's Office. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the program, yes, or, yeah, yesterday was the Pastors Appreciation uh, Golf Tournament, and it's always such a delight uh, to spend the day with these pastors who come together for the sheer joy of golf and fellowship with one another uh, without the responsibility and the, the weight of that responsibility that is borne by those who are called by God to shepherd um, his people. And it's, um, it's just a lot of fun to uh, to be with him uh, for the uh, for the day. And I, I want to just tell you what I said at the top of the hour, that uh, you're in good stead because your pastors um, are not great golfers, which tells me they're they're spending their time where it ought to be spent. But but it is a lot of fun when they have the freedom to just spend a morning uh, together in fellowship. And then we provide a, a lunch for them 
uh, before the day is in uh, the day's end as well. James and I managed to man the eleventh hole and pretended like we knew a little something about golf as they came uh, past us throughout the day. And uh, once again, just want to honor the pastors who serve among us, uh, who do such a tremendous job in a very difficult time, but are faithful because God has called them. We want to honor them whenever possible. All right, we're out of time. If you're uh, listening to The Georgine Rice Show, James Blend is our engineer and producer. I want to thank him. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us. Once again, Ken Ham will be my guest. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.